relative humidity is now at 86%. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Back Chat. I'm Janice Wong and your guest presenter is Danny Gittings. On today's programme, we're talking about the proposed revamp of district councils. Under the plan unveiled by the government on Tuesday, fewer than 20% of district councillors will be chosen by the public in future, with the rest appointed or picked by various committees. Whitby members will be vetted in advance to make sure only patriots are in the running, and the councils will be chaired by district officers, who are civil servants rather than councillors. Chief Executive John Lee said the changes are necessary to ensure national security and that only patriots administer Hong Kong. Under the proposed revamp, there will be 470 councillors, with 88 of them, or that's 18.7%, picked by the public. So what do you think about the changes? How will it affect district-level services? After 9.45, we'll look at the latest homeless situation in Hong Kong. Let us know what you think on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio Free, or you can email us at backchat at rthk.hk, or give us a call, the number there, 233 Now to kick off our discussion this morning, we have in our Admiralty studio, Jeremy Young, Central and Western District Councillor. And on the line, we have Christine Fong, Sai Kung District Councillor, and also Andrew Leung, International and Independent China Strategist and former Director General of Social Welfare. And also later on in the program, we'll be joined by Clarence Leung, the Undersecretary for Home and Youth Affairs. Good morning, Mr. Young. Good morning. And uh, good morning, Mr. Leung and Ms. Fong. Thanks for joining us on the program. Um, so, Ms. so, Mr. Young, as a district councillor, what do you think of the changes? Um, I'm very glad that this proposed changes are finally announced. <laughs> Since about two years ago, when there has been massive resignation of my fellow councillors, the Central and Western District Council simply has not been functioning. And I've been urging the government to get those seats filled back in by whatever method possible. I even suggested at that time to temporarily place the district officer as a chair. Just don't vote or speak. Just get the council back on track. So I'm very glad that the proposal is out. At least we have seen the light at the end of the tunnel, and it has been a very dark tunnel in the past two years. Well, there would have been a simple way to fill these vacancies much earlier. You could have just held by-elections, couldn't you? You can say that theoretically, but what happened before the massive resignation and after is something that I, as a councillor, will never want to see again. Um, it, it is it's simply dysfunctional. People, it's the same councillor that has been behaving really respectfully in the past suddenly turned into a leader of the mob and the whole council became a battlefield, literally uh, restricting government officials from leaving the rooms. There were physical fights. People were twisting thumbs, not allowing people to speak, bringing stink bombs into council. It is something that I think no rational residents would like to see. And I feel ashamed of being part of that. All right, so let's go to Ms. Fong. Ms. Fong, mm-hmm. yes. do, do, you, do you support the changes? Do you agree with uh, what Mr. Young is saying? Well, I think, uh, first of all, uh, for the district council, I think uh, would would certainly serve the uh, local public and uh, for their livelihood issues. So, so uh, avoid those uh, um, political rights issue. I think it is uh, is a right track. In fact, uh, in in fact, that, that was uh, dysfunctional in a, in a few years before. That is uh, correct. 
But to me, I think uh, the improvement uh, for the district administration this time would be uh, would be another angle, would be a regional mindset angle, because this time uh, for the direct elect uh, by the public, uh, the, the the constituency is being enlarged. Uh, that was uh, also um, uh, proposed by myself. Uh, well, ten years ago, when when I was in the Liberal Party before, uh, I think Jeremy was also there for a long while. Uh, my uh, even though I I become a uh, independent um, councillor, in fact, um, I I agree that uh, in some way, uh, regional mindset uh, would be uh, would better for the councillor to serve the local, because um, for example, like uh, in my area in Cycle District. Uh, I don't. I, I think um, even though expatriates who who are living in Taiwan, they they will consider uh, people. That, for example, transportation. If you are living in Taiwan town, uh, you are not just taking the minibus or bus, but also as well as you will go down to Hanghou Station to take another MTR uh, to to Central or whatever. So the mindset for uh, for council members to have a rather big. Pictures, uh, no matter in um, town planning, transportation, housing, whatever, that will be more efficient in a way. Uh, that's one of the uh, things that I am glad that they they will do that. They will consider. But of course, the the, the resources are different, are difficult. In fact, uh, because we are now if uh, divided into three uh, constituencies, that will be. Uh, oh, uh, the direct, uh, directly elected uh, uh, councillor will will serve uh, almost one hundred thousand people, uh, residents. Then that that will be another issue that we need to discuss. Also with us is uh, Andrew Lung. Andrew Lung is uh, former director general of social welfare and in the consultant. Good morning, Mr. Lung. Uh, what do you think of these changes? Well, this is a fallout. Um, a, a huge fallout uh, from the years of uh, black violence uh, and also uh, disruption of, uh, uh, of the Hong Kong government's stability and also threatening um, uh, even the Beijing's um, authority. I mean, I, I sat through all these uh, periods uh, dating back uh, from the beginning of the Umbrella Movement um, thrashing um, uh, the kind of democratic um, package offered by the government uh, for one man, one vote, even though one man, one vote wasn't included in the joint declaration with Britain. Uh, but the condition was that the um, universal suffrage must be based on the uh, screening of candidates because a lot of the people in Hong Kong they do not understand Beijing. In fact, they were against Beijing. Of course, there is need to be trust. Um, um, Beijing needs to have to, to, to have a high degree of trust uh, in whoever are elected. But that is not accepted, and that led to the umbrella movement. After the umbrella movement, there was this um, a, a, almost two years holding Hong Kong's uh, law and order authority to ransom. And as far as the district councils are concerned, it's turned into a hotbed, um, not only for dissent, but as pointed out by um, the newly appointed district councillors, I mean, this is 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 of government money is used um, to disrupt Hong Kong, to disrupt Beijing, and there was even one, um, a, 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 and even worse, 
you know, sort of denying access to government officials and even slogans that were being post- posted in district council offices saying um, blue camp members and dogs are not allowed. <laughs> I mean, just imagine whatever government can, can, can allow this to be done. And also, let's not forget the district councils are not a government part of the government machinery. It's a consultative body, and it's not meant to um, really, um, at, a, according to the, the Hong Kong Basic Law, uh, part of the, 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 the government machinery. The consultative body, the, advanced, the, 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 the purpose of the district council is to field public, uh, various public um, um, the, uh, opinions and, and also the district facilities, uh, so as to make sure the district facilities are um, uh, are built um, and 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 corrected to serve the interests of the residents. But this has, has not been happening. So, as the um, um, uh, uh, the, the other uh, guests on the panel pointed out, um, now that the district council development is put on the right path, however. If you look at the Western media, uh, obviously they're going to make a big meal uh, about the, 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 the kind of um, uh, criticism or accusations that all these district councillors are rubber stamps. Um, and then you, you can look at how the, the, um, uh, all the mechanics are put in place so that only 20% are directly elected. The rest are, are either appointed or, or, or appoint or, or being self-elected. So the accusation in the Western media is that, well, well, this is a kind of rubber stamp. But I don't agree with that because, as I said, A, this is not a platform for political dissent. This is a platform to really serve the interests of the residents. Secondly, and I don't think that the appointed councillors uh, always you know, say whatever the government says. Because if you look at the, 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 the Legislative Council now, of course they are dominated by pro-establishment camps. But you look at the, uh, the, 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 how it's functioning. A lot of laws are passed with a huge number of amendments. Um, so the, the whole governance is pushed back into the right track. But again, this is not of Beijing's um, making in the first place. As I said, this is a fallout you know, from the, the years of the... Of the, 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 the so you say not, not of Beijing's making, you, you, you're suggesting that uh, Beijing is ultimately deciding about these changes? Is that what you mean when you say not of Beijing's making? Well, as I, I would, uh, the point I was trying to make is that it's not as Beijing is trying to change um, at the kind of the basic law uh, or uh, trying to depart from the, um, the one country, two systems um, um, uh, formula uh, or, the, or the various mechanics. Um, and you can see this uh, criticism coming up um, even more re- recently in the United Kingdom. I mean, the newly appointed Prime Minister um, uh, of Britain was always uh, saying that, oh, Hong Kong is not um, binding to the uh, joint declaration. This is far from the case. Okay. A, I mean, the, what, uh, what is happening now, even including the enactment of the national security law, are in, co- in accordance with the... Um, 
the the the, uh, the uh, Hong Kong's constitution. All right, Mr. Long, Mr. Long, let's uh, let's uh, go to uh, Mr. Young for a Thank moment. You. Um, Thank you. Um, like Mr. Long mentioned, uh, under the plan, around twenty uh, percent of district councillors uh, will be chosen yep. by the public in future, and uh, uh, some people have expressed concern that this would reduce the ability of the councils to uh, properly reflect the views of uh, the people of Hong Kong. Um, is, is that a valid concern, Mr. Young? I think for those people who have decided not to vote, that may be the case because. It depends on how you look at it. Yes, there will be less number of directly elected councillors in the future. Absolutely agree on that. However, there will be no reduction of the people who can go and vote. So each elected councillor will now have a much larger voter base, which means oh, hopefully during the campaign, he or she will be running very hard and listening to a lot more residents than before. So has the representation be diminished? depends on your angle looking at it. Uh, what um, Christine mentioned of the not in my backyard uh, phenomenon is true. Uh, on, my, on my constituency on McDonough Road, the even number of residents are served by myself. The odd number of residents are served by another council. And we're dealing with the same single direction road. So it, it's actually a good thing that each directly elected councillor represents a larger constituency. Yes, there will be less uh, number of individual directly elected councillors. So let the residents go and vote and then keep an eye on this person. Is he or she doing a good job? Another point that you mentioned previously is the change of a district officer being the chair. That I, I have less agreeable support to because I've seen different district officers at work and they can be very different. Yes, they are civil servants, but you know some are young, ambitious, hardworking, some are less so. So you never know what chocolate you're gonna get out of the box. So one of my original suggestions was to actually allow only directly elected councillors to be the chair, because that way each resident will have the ability to keep that chair accountable. So I think it's moving in the right direction. We have gone off the trail, get gone off the uh, rails uh, and by a long way. So it is a move in the right direction, but there are risks. How about going a bit further on this issue about the size of the constituencies? And it seems like you and Christine Fong quite agreed that uh, size of constituencies should increase. And she was referring to uh, sort of regional. Is, in, in the future, are these going to be almost sort of regional councils rather than district councils? So out of the 15 small constituencies in the Central District Council, it will, the 15 will become two. But the absolute size of the uh, region will be the same. So each region, each new constituent will be at least five times larger than what it is today. You, you currently represent the peak. What, what's going to happen to that constituency? So the peak, uh, which is A04 constituency, will fall into the central, much larger constituency. And which composes of seven of the existing small constituencies. Going all the way down to central then, is it? Absolutely. So in, in some way it really works because dealing with bus routes, let's say, every councillor would like to have a lot of bus stops in his or her constituency. So imagine every councillor gets their say. We're going to have so many bus stops that the bus will no longer be functional. So having someone to have an overarching view will have its benefits. However, as I said, it it really depends on how many residents go and vote. Will you still stand for election under the new system, Jeremy? I can definitely not declare that to you because uh, my cup of coffee <laughs> will be counted in the bill. But I, I, okay, but I like to serve. You're still interested in serving? I like to serve. I think if there's a good chance that uh, the council will be back on track.
Okay, and what happens to the... Uh, so I, I see the point you're making about these larger constituencies, you can have a broader view, but what happens to the sort of um, helping uh, residents with uh, um, their everyday needs, elderly residents and so on, a lot of district councils doing that, Christine Fong making the point when you've got a constituency of yeah. 100,000, very difficult. Fair enough, absolutely your point taken, and I think the government has heard that concern already because they are setting up different committees I think, uh, I don't know what is the name in English, but there are newly founded committees where volunteers are already helping the council. In fact, for the last two years in Central and Western District, thanks to those volunteering committees, the residents have been served because 12 out of the 15 councillors left. They quit. They got the votes from residents and then they decided they don't want to get sworn in and they left. So luckily, these uh, silo or, or different groups are already functioning. So we really rely on them to continue to look after the elderly's everyday needs, uh, giving out goodies to fight COVID, etc. So I, I, hope, I hope that gap will be filled. All right, let's go to uh, Ms. Fong. Ms. Fong? Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. Like uh, Mr. Young was uh, mentioning, he expressed a little uh, concern over um, the uh, district offices who will be uh, chairing the uh, 18 district councils. Um, do you share that concern? Do you think uh, they should be civil servants or would it be better, like uh, Mr. Young was suggesting, uh, they should be uh, directly elected councillors? Well, uh, for uh, district office uh, who run as a chairman of the district council uh, will be uh, designed, is designed by government. But uh, to to me, in fact, uh, I have a experience about uh, you know work as a councillor more than ten years, and some some of the local issues, uh, for example, like uh, uh, proposing a um, public market in Saigon, uh, in Zhangguanlu, is it, it took me ten years to have this kind of uh, uh, livelihood uh, issues. So uh, if for coming. The undersecretary form a special uh, committee. Uh, it's called District Matter Coordination Task Force. If, if they form this kind of uh, task force and liaise with interdepartmental action or liaise with different uh, uh, departments uh, by, by the chairman of uh, district office, then probably it will speed up some of the uh, some of the local. Uh, livelihood uh, uh, probably uh, infrastructure uh, like like what I said uh, even we are urging government to uh, build a uh, public market for Changguanlu such a big huge uh, uh, population area it, it already takes take us uh, 10 years so in this case if the government reform this district administration by using the district officer as a chairman, I think I hope it could help, and I expect that uh, the task force can uh, because uh, he he was un, uh, helping um, in charge by the under uh, under secretary of uh, of for administration. So I hope uh, it will it will work out and speed up all the uh, livelihood issue and and let us uh, you know uh, spend more time as a consultant or. If, if we can uh, speak less, uh, speak one time, the government uh, get the right uh, right track, then then all the things uh, will get uh, done get done uh, more quickly. So I hope uh, uh, the government can uh, you know put some more effort in it. To uh, that, that that's one of the things. But uh, return we we 
return back to the constituency, if divided into three constituency in Saigon, then one of the uh, either one of the constituency will, will we need to serve around one hundred thousand people. That is another uh, resources um, issue that we need to uh, highly consider. So I hope, as uh, as Jeremy mentioned uh, about those uh, new committee or some volunteers, uh, can can the DO district officer can he uh, manage to uh, to uh, those uh, district councils uh, or and also uh, can those uh, elected or select uh, selected by district council members can they also uh, work together in a bigger district as a as I said like regional. Uh, that will be another uh, consideration that we we hope uh, it can work out in in this way, and we assume everything's uh, back to normal. Uh, Jeremy Young, how about uh, Christine Fong's suggestion that could you were expressing hesitation about having district officers chair the um, mm-hmm. district councils? That that actually, in a sense, that it might make it easier to get things done. That if uh, district council decides on yeah. something with the district officer chairing the council, it might actually get or it stands a better chance of being implemented. Yeah, I think every change has its pros and cons, and is about balance. Um, my my the source of my concern is first of all I already mentioned district officers are individuals and they can be very different. Second, the civil service system is such that people get rotated in and out of the role mm, every yeah. two or three years. And every single term of the council is four years. And in my two terms that I've served, I've seen district officers switching out and in during the term. And for me, the, theoretically, that is not good because we want continuity. And if it is a four-year council term, I, c- I cannot imagine having the same district officer in the same role for eight years, i.e., I've, my fear is that no district officer will continue to serve across two terms, and that means every change of the term of the council, there will be no continuity in the chair, and that is my fear. Uh, Christine Fong also raised again the issue of the size of these constituencies, um, which you, you could make these constituencies smaller by um, just having <laughs> one uh, one uh, councillor in each constituency, couldn't you? Like, what do you think of the government going for the? Um, I think we we know why, right? Because it affects uh, what sort of people would like to be elected, but going for uh, double member constituencies. I, I just think with more constituencies, mathematically, it means the longer the boundaries between each constituency. And, and with more boundaries, it means more ambiguity in how to serve. And with a larger represent, representation of geography, we are moving in the right direction because we have been a little bit not in my backyard in the past. But whether or not we should expand the constituency now and then shrink it again later, maybe. It depends. But let's, let's move and see. I mean, in different parts of Hong Kong, maybe you say it makes sense to have the peak in the same constituency as um, um, Central, but how about when you go out to the new territories and the outlying islands and sort of different islands get lumped <laughs> together because there's only one constituency for them? I, I think that's the beauty of Hong Kong. It's so diverse. It's but but isn't that, that more of a problem there? Then? I, I mean, think so. Yes. I think so. And so good luck to those councillors serving all the islands. Well, maybe isn't there an argument against such big constituencies, oh, at least in rural areas? You, you're right. And that's why they are reintroducing the appointed and the... Uh, what do you call the the by na- nature or obvious um, automatic councillors? I think that's that's the reason ex-official, behind ex-official. Yes, ex-official. Yeah. So that makes sense. Well, Not you, one size fits all. So you say that that can help when you're you've got these such 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 large areas. Yes, you probably want someone who who is the head of a village 
living on the island that represents that, that the voice of the island, rather than an elected member who lives in central and then goes to serve the island. That would be quite absurd. And of course, true. In fact, there are many interdepartmental uh, activities or uh, action that need to uh, liaise with. Uh, in the old day, I mean, um, we look back to uh, the decade. There's, there are many issues uh, that could not be solved. But uh, I hope uh, by that task force, uh, new task force committee, then I hope it can help. For example, I think uh, yeah, we we work in uh, back check for. Uh, talk to back in back check for a long while. In fact, somehow uh, even some ferry issues uh, uh, in Saigon or even um, the jail park. Uh, all right, uh, Miss Fong. All right, Miss Fong. We have to leave it here for now. Thanks. Uh, mm-hmm. Thanks again for joining us this morning. That's uh, Christine Fong, Saigon District Councillor. Many thanks also to uh, Jeremy Young, Central and Western District Councillor, and also Andrew Leung, former Director General of Social Welfare. We're now going to take a quick break for the news. When we return in around. Uh, two minutes time. We'll speak to Clarence Leung, the Undersecretary for Home and Youth Affairs, to find out more about the revamp of the district councils. And in around 15 minutes time, we will get an update on the homeless situation in Hong Kong. If you have any questions for our guests or just want to leave your your views on today's uh, topics, you can uh, leave a message on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio 3. Email us at backchat at rthk.hk or give us a call on 233 And uh, here's a quick look at the weather. Cloudy to start with, mainly fine and hot during the day, with highs of around 30 degrees. Winds moderate south to southeasterlies. Right now it's 27 degrees, relative humidity 85%. It's now 9.30. With a new summary, here's Barry O'Rourke. The Hong Kong Monetary Authority has increased its base rate to 5.5% from 5.25% after the US Central Bank, the Federal Reserve, raised its key interest rate by a quarter of a percentage point overnight. It's the 10th consecutive US rate rise since March last year, and it has taken US interest rates to their highest level in 16 years. The Hong Kong Monetary Authority bought nearly 4.7 billion Hong Kong dollars during New York trading hours to stop the Hong Kong currency from weakening. And Ukraine's President Volodymyr Zelensky has rejected Russian accusations that his forces carried out a drone attack on the Kremlin early yesterday. More news on the hour from RTHK. There are reasons to be happy everywhere you go in Hong Kong. Enjoy local and global cuisines and have fun along the way. Get immersed in the world of light, shows and carnivals. Joyful moments for all. Want to explore special bazaars? They are just around the corner. Pop culture? Victoria Harbour is our stage. Happiness is all around you. Come and join us. Taste the joy, share the fun. Happy Hong Kong. Why have so many online accounts and passwords when you need only one with I Am Smart? You can access different online services using the I Am Smart platform, fill in forms automatically, and receive personalized notifications. Access the online services of public and private organizations with I Am Smart. For more details, visit IamSmart.gov.hk. I Am Smart, the safe and swift gateway to online services. 
Welcome back. This is Back Chat on a Thursday morning with Danny Gittings and me, Janice Wong. In the first half of the program, we've got some reaction to the proposed revamp of the district councils. And now to tell us more about the plan, we're joined on the line by Clarence Leung, the Undersecretary for Home and Youth Affairs. Good morning, Mr Leung. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Thanks for joining us on the program. We heard um, earlier this week from the Chief Executive John Lee that the revamp of the District Council is uh, necessary to ensure national security and uh, that only patriots administer Hong Kong. Can you explain how the changes can achieve that? Well, I think it's important to note that uh, uh, the current term um, District Council has not been functioning to the full, not even close. And I think at the start of the district council, we can see that uh, there are district councillors using the district council as a political platform um, to disrupt and obstruct the administration, the government, the work of the government, which were aimed at to improve the livelihood of uh, citizens. Um, some of them even supported riots, opposed the national security law. And I think these situation is not uh, acceptable. And that's why um, we want to bring about the District Council back um, and restore its proper uh, function and its proper position under the Article 97 of the Basic Law, which is the District Council is a district advisory and service organization and not an organ of political power. I think at the same time, it is very important to know um, that this government is... uh, attach great importance to improving the livelihoods of of citizens in various districts. And that's why we also, and we stress, that we are introducing two high-level committees um, that will coordinate uh, with uh, different government departments, uh, relevant different government departments in in the district, um, in order to be more effective and to deal with um, uh, uh, issues that are close at hard for the citizens in a timely manner. Right. Now, with the revamp of the district councils, a lot of attention has been placed on the number of uh, directly elected seats, uh, which will be uh, reduced to just under 20%. Is there a reason as to why it's been uh, set at that level? Well, I think it is important, as I explained. I think the whole um, district administration uh, study or reform that we're looking into and our proposals that we're looking into, we are trying to focus on bringing uh, a, a better livelihood and, and, and we're looking after the well-being of um, uh, citizens in different districts. I think in the past, we see that there are loopholes and there are uh, 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 what the, I think the district council has been probably um, we could, there are opportunities lost and I think we can um, by introducing or by improving the system, we will bring a lot of different uh, opinions or multi-dimensional uh, uh, opinions into the equation from the district through different uh, uh, councillors of different backgrounds, of different expertise. And the government, while understanding um, these needs in a more timely manner through the uh, improved governance structure, we will be able to react more effectively and the citizens in different districts will uh, benefit from this. Right. There is a stringent uh, vetting process in place. Um, could there have been more room for more directly elected councillors in this case uh, since the um, Patriots only rule would be guaranteed by this vetting system? I think it's important to note that um, the Patriot, uh, 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 the Patriots' requirement 
is obviously uh, first and foremost the most important thing for us. And I think uh, we will need our district councillors, those who serve uh, citizens directly, um, to support one country, one system, uh, one country, two system, and to be, um, you know, patriots themselves. I think that's extremely important. Uh, but it's also important to know that we need these council members to focus on serving um, uh, our citizens in various districts, um, rather than politicizing or using the district council as a political platform um, uh, to. Uh, uh, to advance a political agenda. I think it's more important in the future uh, for people who are interested in uh, serving uh, uh, citizens in district council to know that they will have to perform, they will have to work uh, uh, very closely with the government, at the same time um, be a bridge between the government and the uh, and citizens and uh, 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 reflect a lot of uh, the real needs of um, what the district needs to, uh, to various different government departments. Now, it's only, I think, six or seven years since the uh, government uh, ab- abolished all appointed seats on the, um, uh, di- on the district councils, and uh, now they're bringing them back again in, in far larger numbers than they used to, to, to exist before. I, I know you weren't in government then, but um, presumably they abolished it, you bring them back again. You're saying that the previous administration made a mistake to abolish them. I think it is important to um, uh, uh, consider the whole uh, the whole picture. I think what we're trying to do, as I explained earlier, the government is trying to bring about um, change to um, help uh, uh, create, uh, basically, to help build a better community for citizens. And we're looking at different methods. And what we what we are um, proposing right now is indeed by um, uh, uh, adhering to the, the, the uh, basic law and adhering to also the principle of executive-led government, that we will be able to um, rely on the future district council to help uh, channel more um, uh, uh, district needs um, or opinions to the executive or to the government, and the government will be able to, through different, um, you know, our care teams or different uh, layer of. Uh, service uh, 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 sects, uh, service sectors, we will be able to um, react to these needs uh, more effectively. Sorry, I'm so still. I think un- this is. Yeah, sorry. sorry. I'm, I'm still unclear. Was it a mistake to abolish the appointed seats a few years back? Presumably, it was. If you're bringing them back again now. No, I think I think it is important to see uh, the situation or deal with the situation um, in a uh, at, at that particular time. And I think this, right now, what we're looking at is we need to um, adhere to the uh, uh, basic law. And even what, whatever happened before and what happen, whatever happened now, the most important thing is to adhere to the basic law. And I think what we're doing uh, and our proposals are exactly what, um, uh, what, we, what, I, what I mentioned before, to bring back the district council to what the basic law requires it to do. Now, earlier on, we had uh, two district councillors on the show, and they were broadly supportive of these reforms. But the one reform that they really expressed reservations about was having a district officer chairing the um, um, the district councils and said, well, district officers get rotated in and out after a couple of years. You're not going to have um, much continuity on a district council having a district officer chairing it. Um, 
I think in the contrary, um, first of all, the proposals of having district offices as uh, the chair of the future district council um, is a manifestation of um, uh, one of our principles of, of the study, which is executive-led government. And through the work of the DO, um, together the fact that they are, they, uh, for the DOs, they are also um, the uh, uh, chair of the care teams. At the same time, they also chair the uh, district management committees. Um, they will have better resources and better ways to react and coordinate um, different departments and to react to um, uh, uh, citizens' needs in a more timely manner. And I think it will be a much more efficient way of uh, district administration. But how about the issue of lack of continuity? District councils for four, four years, district officers only tend to stay for, in a position for a couple of years? Um, I, think, I, think, I don't think there's an uh, issue with continuity because um, uh, district officers, um, and, and it, it happens with different government departments as well, um, the heads of the government departments sometimes rotate. Uh, I don't think it will be a couple years, it will be longer than that, but if they rotate, I think there's a, a established system um, to ensure continuity. And also the issue has been raised by a number of people, the size of the geographical constituencies going forward, they're going to be huge compared with the current constituencies, and government has chosen to make them even larger by having um, uh, each constituency returning two councillors. Um, is there a danger that's going to make it difficult for councillors to do district work? I think it is important to um, understand that in our proposal, the total number of district councillors uh, have not dropped uh, significantly. I mean, we're looking at very comparable figures, uh, 470 as opposed to 479 currently. Um, and all these district councillors, uh, doesn't matter which uh, avenue they become, uh, from which avenue that they become district councillors, will have to um, perform and also will have to uh, work with local residents. But I think, I think it is important to note that it is uh, for, uh, 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 for the larger geographical constituency, it also helps district councillors to have a better uh, view or better bird's eye, a broader view of what the district, uh, what matters to the district and what would uh, bring more benefits to the district uh, uh, in a larger scale. Right, and uh, um, as we we're talking about the, the revamp, uh, fewer than 20% of district councillors will be chosen by the public in the future and the rest will be appointed or picked by various committees. Um, Mr Lung, can you, can you explain how the appointed councillors will be selected? I think we're, we will be looking at uh, uh, various different um, uh, 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 Criteria. So I think most importantly, as I mentioned before, you know they have to be patriots. They have to be from a um, either professional background or a particular field that is important for the district, um, or they uh, have been uh, working and serving the district for a long time. So there has to be expertise or um, a certain reason for us to consider. Um, appointing or for, for the CE to consider appointing uh, certain candidates. Um, so I think we will, we will look at uh, their the, the qualifications rigorously, uh, vigorously and, and make sure that these um, 
district council is that we will appoint um, will be those who will serve the community wholeheartedly. Uh, and just lastly, the, um, after the government, or after the Hong Kong changed its electoral system for the Legislative Council, the turnout in the next Legislative Council election was very low. Uh, do you have any concerns that uh, something similar might happen here? If you change the system for the district councils, you might get a low turnout in the, the elections again. No, I think um, by improving the district administration uh, proposal, you know, which we're putting forward, and if it is impl- implemented, um, I think the target for this is to bring about better communities. I think this is what we're looking at, and we're very confident that if we can implement every uh, single proposal that we we put forward, we will be able to achieve that. And I think Hong Kong citizens uh, as a whole would, um, uh, uh, you know, would have better well-being and and better livelihood going forward. All right, uh, Mr. Lung, I know you have a busy schedule ahead of you. Thanks again for taking time out to come on Back Chat. Thank you. That's uh, Clarence Lung, the Undersecretary for Home and Youth Affairs. It's now 9.45 and in a moment we'll take a look at the homeless situation in Hong Kong. 95 years of public service broadcasting. Stay tuned with Hong Kong. Hello, I'm Michael Wong, the Deputy Financial Secretary. For the past 95 years, our THK has shared a common journey with Hong Kong people. Going forward, I trust that our THK will continue to provide Hong Kong with more programs that are rich in content and that can move our hearts. 95 years of public service broadcasting. 95 years. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. With Hong Kong. You're listening to Backchat. Call us on 233-88-266 and have your say. There's been another eviction of homeless people staying at the Kuntong Public Pier, something that happens quite regularly, and uh, people staying there are given ample warning. But with the economy improving and the uh, latest unemployment rate falling to 3.3%, has there been any improvement in the homeless situation? To comment, we're joined on the line now by Jeff Rottmeyer, founder and CEO of Impact Hong Kong. Good morning, Mr. Rottmeyer. Hey, good morning. It's great to be here. Thank you. Thanks for joining us on the program. Um, before we talk about the overall homeless situation in Hong Kong, can you tell us uh, what's been happening at the Kuntong Public Pier? I mean, um, there seems to be regular evictions of homeless people there. Yes, yeah, quite sadly, it's been another uh, clearance. So they've pushed that community off the pier. And this is a common strategy that we're seeing throughout Hong Kong, actually. It's, it's quite a... Um, you're seeing a lot of... Um, more efforts by this government, it seems, to push away these homeless camps. Do they, uh, do they give people much notice when they do that? Yeah, they are giving constant notice. It seems to be uh, notices are put up throughout the year um, constantly, so the individuals sleeping there are always under threat of being pushed. Right, so, so officers basically from the uh, Food and Environmental Hygiene Department would, would clear the area and uh, the homeless uh, who have been staying there would, uh, would leave and uh, return later. Is that what's been happening? Yeah, because they really don't know where to go. You know, they're, they're being threatened to be pushed away um, without really having anywhere that they could actually go to. So, yes, they're leaving for a short time and they're returning to the space where they know is safe, where they can have their friends in the community that they know. Right, and what about their belongings? Yeah, they have, you know, the belongings that they have are obviously exposed uh, in the areas where they're sleeping. And, 
you know, those are their possessions. They're only the only possessions that they have. So it's a very sensitive issue when you're trying to push someone away, and especially if you don't know where to take it and you're not able to take it all in one load. So yeah, it's a, it's a difficult situation that has to be done with a lot of sensitivity. And the notices and the, the tactics that the government are using is just the opposite of that. Why is that? Why, why do you think it's the opposite of that? Well, I think, you know, the individuals that we meet outside, you know, Impact HK, we've now helped well over 500 people off the streets into shelter. And we know this community quite well, as we knew um, a lot of friends that we had at, at the Kuntong Pier. And, you know, the I think over 95% of the individuals that we've helped in the shelter have no friends or family in their lives. They're completely alone. And all they, they might appear to be strong to the government officials or the you know, the food and hygiene department. Um, these individuals are in a lot of pain, and they're really in a difficult situation, and they're scared. So, you know, when you want to try and help someone out of homelessness, it has to come with care. There has to be, you know, some heart involved in the process because, you know, just pushing them away, obviously, um, very detrimental. You said that Impact Hong Kong, you had been helping some of these people in Kuantong before they were they were removed. Did they, did they know what was coming? Yes, yeah, they knew they knew it was coming, uh, but they're constantly under threat of being pushed away. So, it's when they are getting these warning letters, you know, posted on their on the wall of their or on their suitcases, etc. Um, this is a common a common tactic. So, because they don't know where else to go, they just kind of it's just part of their everyday life. And then when they come in, they are going to clear them away. They they comply. They they try to help out as much as possible. They move the stuff, clean the stuff. Um, and then they return to the to the space that they know. So they, is that where or they return? Where else, I was going to say, where else do they go? You say they just they just come back again, basically. Yeah, yeah. I mean, individuals in the street, you know, they're they're sleeping in public toilets, rooftops, parking lots, subways, you know, wherever they can find shelter. But you know, what we're seeing is you know kind of more extreme tactics tactics these days. Um, we've actually seen um, outside of one of our centers where there's a subway. The government have come in there and they've cleared the community away. Eighteen individuals were sleeping in that subway. Um, they were cleared away. Um, all their possessions were pushed out. And the government went to another extreme level of, on the outside of that subway, actually partitioning off an area of where they could have potentially gone where there was shelter. So on the outside of that subway, you have a overpass, and they, they blocked off the area under that overpass just to make sure that they wouldn't just move there. So it's really the strategy of the government just to tell these people in pain to just go somewhere else. But we know very well that when we can find people, we can help them. And we just really like to work with the government and to find a way of doing this in a, in a friendlier way, but with actually a, a real solution-focused mindset. Right. And earlier you mentioned that uh, some of the uh, homeless, uh, they, they're not uh, able to bring all their belongings with them when, uh, when officers uh, clear the, the site. Um, what happens to the belonging? I mean, can they get it back? I mean, is it confiscated but uh, returned to them later? What, what happens? You know, a lot of it's destroyed, um, thrown in the rubbish. Um, you know, the possessions that they have, you know, it's very difficult to maintain and, you know, keep your belongings, you know, clean outside a lot of the stuff is you know boxes and possessions that you and i would consider basically rubbish in many ways but those are these individuals only belongings you know a hoarding disorder is a very common mental health issue that we face on the streets here which is definitely a medical issue and you know these individuals um, who are facing that you know that mental health struggle it's very very sensitive and it's very difficult um, and what we know of the people, right? So in the Kuntong Pier, our staff and volunteers are there weekly. 
we're building trust with them every single day. Um, that's our process. We're in, we're in trust on the streets. We offer them opportunities, and we see individuals able to take big steps forward because of our programs and helping them to discover purpose, uh, giving them opportunities to become friends and have a big part of a community. This is really the solution for homelessness. And, you know, quite sadly, the government still believed that rooms are the solution or telling people to go somewhere else is the solution. And we, we know that very clearly. Uh, of, course, not, right? of course, the government says that the number of homeless people has actually dropped. Uh, and the number is down. Is there, I think, 123 people down by, down by 123 to 1,441 by the end of March. Yeah, it's it's um, it's fascinating how they would come up to that conclusion. You know, it's really an impossible task to really understand the the depth of the homeless issue in Hong Kong, especially when you look at the amount of individuals living in hidden homelessness situations. So like you in don't think it's correct then to say that the number's gone down? No, I don't think it is. Um, we 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 haven't seen that. Um, we've seen an increase still on the streets, and the, the key is that it's very very difficult to to find people, um, and especially when they're pushed away. So when we have 18 people sleeping in the subway outside of our center, we can get to know them. They eat with us every day. They're using our laundry machines, getting haircuts, taking steps forward. And when these camps are pushed away, we just lose people. Um, we're just not seeing people again. That doesn't mean that they're jumping into a room because they were pushed out of a tunnel. It's just that we can't find them. And, you know, it's kind of sloppy to, to say that the number has gone down when, in fact, they're just being hidden more. All right. So, so the so we just mentioned the social welfare department figure in March was around uh, one thousand four hundred forty-one. What what do you think is the real figure? I mean, since you 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 see a lot of homeless people in Hong Kong, what's your estimate? Yeah, it's, it's difficult. It's a very difficult question. You know, we serve roughly about five hundred and fifty unique individuals outside on the streets per week in about fourteen or fifteen locations uh, throughout Hong Kong, and you know, ten night in our shelter, we have around ninety people. You know, but it's very difficult to tell. We're seeing uh, new homeless camps popping up all over the city and, and just every nook and cranny throughout the city. Um, I think there are a lot of people in, in very serious pain, and we have to understand that homelessness in the city is largely related to mental health stigma and a lack of mental health support. So, with COVID, I don't think the I don't think we're over it here. I think we're still seeing the effects of that, and when. You know, when you're isolated and we know that the people that we face and, and meet outside are so alone, I think um, it's a serious mental health issue and I, I don't think um, it's getting any better. Earlier on, you said something really tragic. You said that um, the, these people, often they don't have a, a single friend or a single family member. Uh, they, they, they literally know no one else. Can you, can you expand a bit on that? Yeah, it's, it's um, a lot of broken relationships, um, a lot of people who are isolated. Um, you know, especially if you look at mental health struggles, you know, when you can't talk to someone, um, when you don't have anybody in your life who cares for you and that you care for, um, you become isolated. And, you know, the communities that we meet outside are very, very alone. But in, if you look at Kuantong Pier, it's a, it's a fascinating one because those individuals, they do quite well there. They have a lot of community support. They work well together. They support each other. They have friendships there. Um, and, you know, the individuals there, they, they, it's the only spot they know. So suggesting that they should just go to Penny's Bay or to uh, public housing um, is just not attractive to them because just like myself, I don't see a room as being enough for me in my life. I want to have friendship. I want to be a part of a community. I want to find purpose. You know, these are the keys in our lives and they are in theirs as well because they're just human beings. Um, but yeah, I think we have to understand that the strategy to end homelessness cannot be solved with just rooms. 
and especially pushing people away. And uh, can, can you tell us a bit more about the homeless uh, community in Hong Kong? Are, are they mainly made up of uh, um, men or, or women or old people, young people? Yeah, before before COVID, actually, it's quite an elderly population. You know, the, before COVID, the average age on the streets was 64. Um, after COVID, we've seen the average age drop down to the low 50s. Um, we've seen the percentage of females on the streets double. Um, just as a guesstimation, I think you're looking at about 90% are Hong Kongers and also probably about 90% are men. So it's a lot of elderly men on the streets. And, you know, it's it's very, very difficult situation. Um, we, we face, you know, a lot of people who are in, in extreme situations, you know, schizophrenia, psychosis, depression, um, addiction issues, hoarding disorder. You know, there's a lot of really serious struggles outside, and it's just not as simple as some people, you know, claim it is to just jump up and leap into a room or to get a job. Um, so it takes a lot of care. And, you know, in fact, HK, we're really trying to build as holistic of a program as possible to help these individuals. You said 90% are Hong Kongers. So the other, what, what about the other 10%? Yeah, you do have, you know, some ethnic minorities, um, even some asylum seekers, um, you know, some, some tourists from time to time from China or from other places. Um, but, yeah, you know, it's, um, it's an issue that can hit anyone. But, yeah, because we're in Hong Kong, it is definitely, definitely a Hong Kong problem. Okay, and you also said that ninety um, percent are men, but nonetheless, the proportion of, of women has has increased dramatically. Do you have any sort of sense of the reason for that? You know, I, I I'm not sure exactly, but I do know that the, the females that we do meet outside are are really in quite extreme situations, um, a lot of really serious mental health issues, and you know, we definitely have to prioritize you know their safety and get them into our shelter as quickly as possible. Um, but yeah, I'm really not sure exactly you know why that is. And are you able to find shelter for everybody you, you think needs it? Yeah, we, we do whatever we can. You know, when an individual comes in our shelter, into our center and is seeking help, you know, that's, you know, a great opportunity for us. You know, we really don't uh, discount how, how difficult it is to ask for help, and we make sure that we do everything we can. Um, our program is really designed to just, you know, fighting for these individuals and giving them the best opportunity possible. We're not lifesavers as an organization, but we do definitely provide the best opportunities we can. But you do have enough funding to um, accommodate everybody who you encounter who needs um, who needs help. Yeah, there's never never enough funding uh, in this one because of the the great medical costs um, associated with this community. And yeah, we're we're doing what we can. You know, as an NGO, it's always a grind. But um, you know, yeah, financial need is, is definitely our greatest need. Right. And earlier you said uh, eviction may not be the best way to deal with uh, this issue. What do you think the government uh, should do instead? You know, I can understand why, you know, the government would want to, you know, put a stop to having those types of camps on the pier. I mean, I can understand why, you know, the public would also see, you know, hygiene risk and, and issues with that. So I think, you know, the key is really for the government to collaborate with us. You know, we know these individuals. We have relationships with them. We talk to them. We, we feed them every single day. Um, it would make perfect sense for them to work with us and do this in a more humane way, in a more caring way, and really come up with a strategy together of how we can actually end homelessness in this city. I don't think it's uh, a task that's beyond us. We, we can do this, but it's just going to take some, some effort in the communication. All right, uh, uh, Mr. Rottmeyer, I'm afraid that we're out of time. Thanks okay. again for joining us this morning. That's uh, Jeff Rottmeyer, founder and CEO at Impact Hong Kong. And many thanks also to you who commented or emailed us today and to our guest presenter, Danny Gitchings, and producer, Raphael. I'll be back with another edition of Backchat tomorrow with Andrew Work.